It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, this hour, as we get set on the Super Bowl in a few days, John Harbaugh, head coach of the Ravens, one of the most successful coaches in football today, uh, will be with us. And then Dr. Ben Carson on this pandemic, the Trump legacy, and uh, what is going on uh, in the medical profession. We'll discuss all that and more uh, as we move through. And I'll try to make this a quick A block, but we have a lot to discuss. As we know, the uh, President of the United States is going to go over the State Department today and do that symbolic journey and talk about the foreign policy and the success uh, that the State Department must have for us to survive against China, Iran, and uh, hopefully they realize that Israel is on our side. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Shannon Sharp said last week that he thinks that you probably would have gotten more criticism for your having the hat in the locker in 2015 for Trump um, had you been a black athlete. I'm not sure how to, you know, respond to, you know, hypothetical questions like that. We're in this position like I am to, again, try to be the best I could be every day. So Tom Brady punts Super Bowl days away as Bucks legend Tom Brady called out for his whiteness and his unwillingness to condemn Trump. Why? Because they're friends. When is the obsession with the race going to subside in America? Number two. Joe Biden is totally on board with using reconciliation. I've been talking to him every day. He told Senate Republicans that the $600 billion that they proposed was way too small. Wow, who's running the country, Chuck Schumer or Joe Biden? The dark winter is getting lighter. As 27 million Americans have been vaccinated and two more vaccines are ready to enter the arena. Plus, uh, 44% of cases have dropped. I'll give you the latest on the trillion-plus aid package as the Dems are threatening to go it alone. Number one. Vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. They have not released um, their official guidance yet from the CDC on the vaccination of teachers and what would be needed to uh, ensure the safe reopening of schools. Get some guts. Back to school. You know the phrase. So why doesn't the Biden bunch use it when they speak uh, about teachers to teachers unions? Just be strong. You said you want kids back in school. Tell them to do it. Across the country, parents of all stripes venting and acting out on their frustration because they want their kids in school. They know the the risks are low. And it's not just me saying that. It is you saying that. Rochelle Walensky, a CDC director out in uh, CDC director, said, listen, we did the studies. We've been dealing with this for almost a complete year. There is no reason in Baltimore. There is no reason in North Carolina. There is no reason in Virginia up and down the coast of California, for you not to be in school in New York City. Cut one. There is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not, um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. No kidding. Some of them are choosing not to get vaccinated. Some are getting vaccinated and still not going back to school. It's unacceptable. 
you got to be kidding me. It's not my opinion. You know, this stimulus package, how big? Okay, depending on political stripes. But every day that this kid is sitting there in a laptop, boy or girl, first grade or 12th grade, they are, they are being robbed unnecessarily of the social interaction and the academic approval. It's a tragedy. Uh, and it's, it, when we look back, we're going to say, what were we thinking? Why didn't we make, uh, make uh, more of an effort? Why were we so uh, risk-averse? In Virginia, yesterday they ruled the Fairfax, who has 186,000 students, that any student who chooses to will be able to return to the classroom uh, two days a week in person beginning March 16th. Why? Why two days? Why March 16th? In Loudoun, Virginia, they can return two days a week by March 3rd. Why not today? An enrollment of 81,000. In San Francisco, they are actually suing the school district to force classrooms to open up. Isn't that ridiculous? Can you believe this? Even the mayor wants them to open up. But they, Democrats are too afraid, afraid of unions. Same thing with the attorneys. They take a ton of money from these attorneys, and therefore they're not looking to get rid of uh, so many aspects that would drive down our health care costs. So in Chicago, they still are at a standoff. They still have announced that students have to continue to learn remotely, even though they fixed the schools, they provided the distancing, the plexiglass, they did everything they needed to do uh, in terms of cleanliness and air filtration, and they still won't do it. In Baltimore, the city schools delayed plans to expand in-person learning as teachers' union protest the return to the classroom. Hey, get it, get in the classroom or you got to quit. If you have a pre-existing condition, I will, I will make sure, I will rally, do everything I can if I'm in that district to make sure you still get paid because that is not your fault. Mike Bloomberg, of all people, Mike Bloomberg says this to Joe Biden. Cut five. It's time for Joe Biden to stand up and say the kids are the most important things and the teachers just are going to have to suck it up and stand up and provide an education. The president has to stand up to the unions. We have a lot of city and state and federal employees who run risks. That's part of the job. You run risks to help America. Not only school, but the sports. Not for the stars, for the player. It's the normalcy that people seek. Within that normalcy, you find yourself. There's nothing normal about staying in your house, staying in your bubble, staying with your five people. When you go up to your parents and say, I want to have people over, they say, it's just, it's too risky. I don't want to test positive. I can't afford to miss work because of a quarantine. What happens is they'll be testing at school. There'll be, if there's money issue, we don't know it yet. There's been plenty of money, even unspent. And to talk about risks, I want you to revisit an interview I did on Fox and Friends with Chris Buckner. His son, a star athlete, honor student, took his own life. Cut eight. There's no doubt in our minds that um, the stress he was feeling as a result of school closures, not being able to be with his friends, not getting to play football, uh, absolutely contributed to his death. March, when the um, pandemic hit, there was talk about flattening the curve of COVID-19 deaths. But, um, you know, I wanted to come on today to talk about uh, the need to flatten the curve of, uh, of uh, suicide deaths in uh, today's teens because, uh, you know, I really think it's, um, it's a crisis. Yeah, uh, there's not enough therapists in the world to handle it, and they're not even in school to use the school psychologist. I got Ben Carson at the bottom of the hour, the 17th Secretary of Department of Housing and Urban Development. Then I got uh, talk about these kids and the damage it does. He was an inner-city kid with a, with a single parent, and mom worked 20 hours a day, had two jobs. He knows what it was like to come right home from school, have to do his homework, 
Uh, his, his dad, excuse me, his dad non-existent. He became a brain surgeon. His other brother became a, vain, a, a very successful lawyer. How did he do it, and how would he have responded in a situation like this? Coming up next, though, we talk Super Bowl 55 with John Harbaugh, talk about where the game's going, what it's been like inside the locker room dealing with this uh, COVID-19. Football did a miraculous job getting through this season. How tough was it? He'll bring us up close and personal with that. And are they prepared to get back to normal? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I remember, I think the first one I remember is when he's, he's grabbing the trophy and he's, he's throwing it up and he's screaming, he's yelling, just the, the excitement. Uh, I mean, it, it's been forever. And uh, uh, like we were talking about a little bit before, I mean, it seems like every single year he's just getting better. Um, and it, it truly is amazing to watch. And uh, it's amazing to go up against because you know it's, uh, you're going up against the best. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, talking about going up against Tom Brady and not the uh, New England Patriots, but the Bucs. It would make his miraculous is there were no practices. Couldn't even bond with his team. We're in the middle of this uh, COVID-19 that will never go away. No one has to explain that to John Harbaugh, head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, had a sensational year, 11-5, and five, knocked out of the playoffs by the Bills, 17-3. to three. Uh, But again, uh, when the Ravens, when the Ravens uh, have, are coached by John Harbaugh, they seem to always be in contention. Uh, and joining us now, the coach from Baltimore. Welcome, coach. Hey, Brian, great to be with you, my friend. Can you believe that, that, that uh, put it in perspective from the coaching perspective, to switch teams, switch systems without going to a training camp and, and, and leading the Bucks to the Super Bowl, a place they haven't been uh, since John Gruden was coaching? No, it's incredible. I mean, you know, it's something that's obviously never been done before, and I don't know if it'll ever be done again. I mean, he's, he's, he's 43 years old, and he seems like he's better than ever, you know, and and he went to the right team, too. I thought he you know, just did a nice job in kind of figuring out where, where he could make the most difference. I mean, the, the Bucks are a talented team. They have been. They've done a nice job of building that roster up. A lot of offensive weapons. I think he saw that and understood, you know, what an impact he could have. But uh, how different is the offense that he runs now with Tampa from the one he left in New England? 
You know, I think it's probably different terminology, but it's not really different operationally. You know, Tom Brady, you know, is the offense. The quarterback is the offense, really. You build your offense around your quarterback. So they may call it something different, but they're still running the same routes. He's making the same kind of reads. He's doing the same things at the line that he's always done. Uh, he's finding the weakness in the coverage, and, you know, he's accurate. So he's got guys, he's got guys that can make plays downfield for him. I mean, getting Gronk back was big. Evans has been big for him, a big target outside. So, you know, all those things come into play. Coach, last time they played, it was a, it was a, a 27-24 win for Kansas City. Does that matter? Do you watch that? If you're coaching Tampa or Kansas City, how close are you watching that game, Rewatching. Yeah, well, you're gonna you're gonna watch it closely because you're gonna try to you know it's, you get the you know, firsthand look at how your opponent decided to play you the last time. It's definitely the number one tape that they'll look at, uh, to give them kind of the, the 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 best idea in terms of what the you know what the what the Chiefs are thinking about the Bucks or vice versa. But by the same token, you know it's gonna be changed. So you just try to see what worked, what didn't, what they're gonna try to expand upon, uh, and they'll they, they'll look at they'll look at two seasons worth of tape. Uh, breakdowns, things like that. And they'll know each other inside and out schematically. In the end, you know, it's going to kind of come down to who can make plays and who can get stops, and that'll be the team that wins. I know it's about playing, but can a game be won and lost in the tape room, in the scheme, to this week and last week? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Andy Reid will come up with a few things that will be challenging for the Bucks defense, you know, and it'll come down, like you just said, to who executes, if they execute them well. But he'll have some great little ideas and some little change-ups for him that'll be a problem, you know. And then, and then Brady, I think the way they build it around Brady is he'll be looking for tips and keys in the Chiefs' defense. I mean, he's always – he's a guy that finds, you know, how the cornerback – is the nickel lined up inside? Is he outside? How deep is he? Where are, where are his eyes? How does that coordinate with the line of the defensive end? You know, where are the corners? Where are the safeties? How deep are they? How wide are they? And that gives him an idea of what coverage they're in that he can find the route he wants to go to within the route call – or he can change the play completely and get to something specific to create a matchup for one of his guys. So, you know, that's the stuff that they're, they've they been working hard at that. You know, they haven't had the uh, – different this year, Brian. You know, the Super Bowl teams aren't on site all week this week, the last week. So they've been in their, their home building. They've been watching tape in their own meeting rooms. They've been on their own practice field. So it might be a little bit of a, a schematic. It might be more of a factor this year maybe than other years just because it's kind of like just the normal road game. I think they're traveling Friday and playing the game on Sunday. I mean, yeah, besides the long halftime, this might seem like a game with only 25,000 people in the stands. You really don't have to struggle to, to relax, do you? Well, you know, I'll tell you, it's different, though, because here's what we found. They, they give the, the fans these clapper plastic things, okay? So in a stadium with a, full, with a full crowd, you know, every seat is occupied, and you hear with the crowd, they can clap and they can scream, and sometimes they have you know, something that they can clap together. But what they do now is they, they got these big, like, I don't know, plastic slappy things that, that slam against the seats in front. And it gets super loud. So we only had between six and, I think, 16,000 in our two playoff games. But it seemed as loud almost as a regular game. So with 25,000 people with those kind of those kind of devices, I think actually it's going to be big and, and really silent count, which teams haven't worked on much this year. That's going to be something I'm sure they're working on this week. Here's what Brady said about Patrick Mahomes, cut 42. He's done an incredible job. And, um, you know, he's – I really admire Patrick for the kind of player he is. He has great command of his team. I know his teammates love playing with him. He's got great charisma. Um, and I think when I see Patrick, I see someone who, again, was um, 
know, none of these moments are too big for him. Big time performer, always seems to play the best when his team needs it the most. And, and that's one thing he, at 25 years old, he doesn't get overwhelmed. And you mentioned this to me once. You said Brady learned a lot about offense by studying defenses and putting himself in the defensive coordinator position and think, how do I defend against this? And you said you wanted to do that with Lamar Jackson. So when he talks about Mahomes, he's actually probably studied him. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, the same things he said there, because really style-wise, they're really not too similar. I mean, they're, they're similar in the sense that they're very accurate, but he was describing himself, I feel like, in terms of handling the big situation and leading his team and, and kind of uh, running the offense and, and being the, you know, the straw that stirs the drink. That I would say that Mahomes and Brady have in common. So when he was describing Mahomes there, I think you could put Tom Brady in the same conversation and make the same, you know, kind of accolades and be the same thing. Though they're different quarterback style-wise, they're the same in terms of the impact they have. Uh, Coach, what do you remember about this? Cut 43. And he booms this one. That takes the fair catch free kick out of play. And it's him. Again to the 40. Still on his feet at the 50. And the Ravens have won it. 34-31. And you beat your brother and beat uh, Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers. How often do you think about that? And can you and your brother actually talk about that, being that he's at Michigan now? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we, we don't talk details too much still, uh, but we do talk about it. You know, his, uh, his, his son, Jack, who's an awesome fan, awesome little athlete, they came to visit this summer, and he saw uh, on the wall like a picture of that, that moment, that very moment that you played right there with the confetti coming down afterwards. And he said to Jim, I heard him say, you know, Dad, we don't talk about that, do we? And, uh, and uh, Jim kind of looked at him, put his arm around him and said, it's, it's okay to talk about it now. Jack, you know, that that's your uncle, and we're, we're, we're happy for him. So it's like, wow, that was kind of a moment, you know. But wow. what I remember about it was that. I mean, I remember that, you know, you think about all the times that you see the Super Bowl coaches with their arms in the air being carried off the field or whatever, and you kind of dream about what that'll be like if you ever get a chance to win one. But that really wasn't it for me. I had, I had to think about my bro, you know, and going over and shaking his hand because I know it's like when you lose, it's the toughest thing that you can face. So. That was really what was on my mind, and that's kind of what I remember about going over and, and shaking my brother's hand after the Super Bowl. It'll be a lot better if you can beat somebody else besides your brother, which is, yeah, as long as he stays definitely. in college, that'll yeah. happen. Um, we gotta get we got to get back, Brian, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm excited for the game a little bit, but you, can't, you just can't enjoy the game as a coach or a player in this league unless you're playing in it, really. Coach, what has been uh, your ticket? I know one thing, you got this great quarterback, Lamar Jackson, uh, reigning MVP, and he needs a new contract. He's the 25th. Highest paid player in the league. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. How soon until he's the first? Is that going to happen this offseason? You know, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's such a different year. It'll happen. Uh, we, we don't have to do it this offseason. You know, he's going into his fourth year. So there's really two years left in this process. But you want to get it done as soon as you possibly can. There's other guys. The other guys in, in his class are in the exact same position. So I think every team is going to face the, pro- and the situation. 
And the problem is the salary cap has dropped, you know, 35, 45 million from what it was projected to be. So we just have no idea. Any, no team does exactly what they're going to have available and how to work the deal. So if we can get one worked out that we can make work under the cap this year, we'll certainly do it because we want to do it for Lamar. And we believe in him. He's our guy. And uh, he's going to be the quarterback here for many years. Whether we do it this year or next year, probably is more about the economics of it in terms of the salary gap than anything else. Hey, Coach, uh, best of luck. I know you're going to be watching the game, even though you probably want to be in the game. Uh, and maybe that'll happen next year. John Harbaugh, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate you, man. You do a great job. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to be back with Dr. Ben Carson in just a moment. And we will not talk about the Super Bowl with him, but he'll probably be watching. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Shannon Sharp said last week that he thinks that you probably would have gotten more criticism for your having the hat in the locker in 2015 for Trump um, had you been a black athlete or, or basically that black athletes aren't given as much room to weigh in on you know political topics and topics that could be controversial. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in response to that. I'm not sure how to you know respond to you know hypothetical questions like that. You know, I hope everyone can, you know, uh, we're in this position like I am to, again, try to be the best I could be every day as an athlete, as a player, as a person in my community, for my team and so forth. So, yeah, I'm not sure what else. And there was a USA Today column off that from Nancy Armour. I don't know who that is. Tom Brady was happy to talk politics until he wasn't. And they talk about Brady before President Trump was elected, being friends with Donald Trump and say, wouldn't that be nice if he won? But now they say he's a white supremacist because he doesn't disavow Donald Trump. In fact, he doesn't want to talk politics. Dr. Penn Carson knows the ups and downs of of working for and being friends with Donald Trump. He was the 17th Secretary of Department of Housing and Urban Development and last the entire four years and came out unscathed. Dr. Carson, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. It's always wonderful to be with you. Yeah, well, congratulations, everything you did for the country. Um, you know, when you're a brain surgeon and you just want to give back to the country, that's really what was services about, and that's what you did. Uh, and by all accounts, you did a, a fantastic job, especially in these underprivileged areas. But real and quick, it's so, it's so important, though, Brian, what you're just saying, because one of the dangers that we face in our country now is that good people will not want to serve because, you know, of the personal toll that it takes on them and their family. Uh, this is exactly the wrong kind of culture. And we need to fight strongly against it. Absolutely. And, you know, that's uh, it was always supposed to be service, supposed to be a short time of service and then go back to your real regular life. You weren't supposed to do this for 60 years, like some of these people. Uh, Dr. Carson, can I ask you about this column? One of these uh, this columnist comes out, Tom Brady, 43 years old, just had a a career like nobody else. And by almost all accounts, he's a great person. Um, I've seen him in action. I've seen him on the sideline. I'm not great friends with him, but almost everybody lauds him. But not this columnist. They say Brady's ability to enter and exit the debate as at his choosing to shield himself from accountability is the height of white privilege. As this country grapples with the far reaches of systemic systemic racism, look no further than Brady, for whom his expectations and allowances are granted, will always be different. Whiteness is the benefit of the doubt. Do you agree with anything I just read? It's it's just ridiculous. 
you know, there's so many people who want to reframe everything uh, in terms of race. You know, Chelsea Handler said that I was a white supremacist. I mean, it's just <laughs> absolutely ridiculous what they're doing. And it's a perfect way to divide people who are not thinking. You know, the average American is actually a reasonable person. Uh, most people, they'll help somebody who's in distress. You know, they'll help a neighbor. They won't ask them if they're a Democrat or a Republican. It's the media and the politicians who come in and, and stir things up. They're like the kid on the third grade playground. Everybody's playing nicely, and then he comes and says, did you hear what he said about your mama? You know, they're always trying to stir things up and, and create friction. And we, the American people, are going to have to be the ones that are smart enough to yeah. realize what's going on. And that, that's one of the reasons that, you know, I've started the American Cornerstone Institute, you know, to look at those fundamental cornerstone principles that allowed this to become a great country. You know, our faith, liberty, community, and life. And those things were important to us. And we can't allow others to come in and redefine who we are. They start by trying to destroy our history. Well, if you don't know your history, then you don't know your identity. If you don't know your identity, you don't know what you believe in. And then you become easy fodder for anybody who comes along with, with any kind of ridiculous idea. This is what we're seeing. And, you know, this is what Vladimir Lenin was talking about when he referred to useful idiots. And you have to know how to use these people in order to accomplish your goals. We see a lot of that going on right now. I just worry about, and I, uh, on US, I want to get back to this, but the main thing that's, fight, that's pushing against you is education. If you're getting the five and six and eight-year-olds and you're telling them the history as uh, with this agenda-driven, you, you're going to get an 18-year-old that's really going to hate the country, determined to change things, wearing stocking caps yeah. and uh, uh, rioting in Baltimore, excuse me, not in Baltimore, but in Portland and Seattle for the last 200-plus days. You look at the and eyes it, of these kids, they're not dumb, but they know no. for sure that our country is a terrible place. And if you sit down and you talk with them for just a little while, it becomes very clear that they don't know what they're talking about or what they believe in. And it's one of the reasons that it's important to establish dialogue. This is what's missing in our country right now. We have people in their respective corners throwing hand grenades at each other and not talking. What happens to people before they get divorced? You know, they used to love each other. They couldn't stand being away from each other. Then they stop talking to each other. Next thing you know, their spouse is devil incarnate. You know, that's what happens when you don't talk, particularly when you have, you know, pluralistic society. You can't have a my way or the highway attitude. You have to have an attitude of let's work together, let's figure things out. And more importantly, let's use common sense. You know, we're talking about, for instance, the, the energy just ticked something. You know, canceling the Keystone Pipeline. Look at all the jobs that are being impacted, not just the people who work on it, but all the peripheral issues. Now, what would a logical person with common sense do? They would say, look, we have achieved a milestone. We are the net exporter of energy. We are energy independent. It gives us tremendous strength throughout the world. We don't want to lose that. But yet we do want other types of energy sources developed. So we can do those things. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can take advantage of what we have to get what we want. 
That's how logical people think. They don't destroy what you have already and just say something else magically is going to materialize. It's not going to materialize. What's going to materialize is much higher uh, energy prices for everybody and putting us more or less at the mercy of the Chinese. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, there's so much that doesn't make sense uh, that, that we've uh, seen, especially over the last 10 days. Uh, and we've had four years, like something I've never seen uh, and you lived through. Just my last thing on this uh, this Brady story, because we had the Super Bowl in a couple of days away. Shannon Sharp, uh, Hall of Fame tight end, said LeBron James could never say, a prominent black athlete can never say, Minister Farrakhan is my friend. They just would cancel anybody with the mere mention of Minister Farrakhan. But it's okay, essentially, for Tom Brady to say, Donald Trump is my friend. They're comparing Farrakhan and Trump, and he doesn't have an apology, and there's no pushback on this. How do you, how do, you do you buy the analogy? I, I do not buy it. And what I find particularly offensive is that people think that because a person has a certain skin color, there are things that they can't say, things that they can't do, they can't think for themselves. You know, that to me is the epitome of racism. And uh, they're the very ones who go around accusing everyone else. But if you look at me and you say, I must think this way and I must support this, or as somebody we all know said, you ain't black, you know, that is the epitome of racism. Because they're, they are, they are telling you what you should believe by the color of your skin. Uh, exactly. So, Dr. Carson, you, you leave a place as uh, one of the world's best brain surgeons, one of the hardest uh, surgeries to do, and you're the best at it. You came from the most dire circumstances possible, the great mom that couldn't read, that made sure her two sons could and would study. And what you and your brother have done is unbelievable. But since working for the running for president and taking on President Obama at that at that um, at that breakfast, prayer breakfast, yeah. and then joining, uh, running for president as a Republican, and then joining the Trump administration. What's changed? Well, first of all, I would I wouldn't say that I was taking on Obama. What I was Obamacare is talking about what was going on, and certain people like Senator Schumer have said to me they were very offended. I said, you know, you shouldn't be offended unless what I said applies to you. That pretty much shuts them up. But, uh, you know, I just want people to go to our website, American Cornerstone Institute, read about what we're doing, get involved, subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to be encouraging dialogue across the country. And let's talk about common sense. Common sense is no longer common, as you can well visualize, that's going on in our country right now. I think we probably are becoming the laughing stock of the world. We used to be the destination country of the world. We used to be the place that everybody admired, the place that just uh, made a pinnacle issue of liberty and freedom. And now look at what we're doing. It's absolutely absurd. And I think most people realize that. Here's, that's the key. But we've created an atmosphere where if you say something, you're going to be punished. And that's why people are going to have to become courageous once again. Freedom is not free. You have to pay for it. And uh, you have to be willing to sacrifice. Because if we don't, 
Our children are going to suffer. Look at what we're doing to them in terms of the budget. You know, we've, we let it roll off our tongue a trillion dollars. A trillion dollars is an incredible amount of money. And as we're getting behind, it's going to require pretty soon just to pay the debt service, you know, half of your salary. We're doing that to our children and our grandchildren. We're destroying their quality of life. That's why Thomas Jefferson said it is immoral to borrow from the next generation. He would have a stroke if he came back today and saw what we were doing. Right, and now why don't you make you feel bad when you say uh, $1.9 trillion, we just gave you $900 billion, you haven't spent it. Why do you need one point nine? Why are you bailing out individual states? What does the minimum wage have to do with a rescue package? Uh, if you bring that up, you don't care about the working class. So I think most people, like you said, are smarter than that. What did you discover when uh, you took over? What do you know now that you didn't know before you became the secretary of, the Depar- of HUD? Well, I, I know for one thing, and I have to say this, there are some good people in government. There are some people who are there for the right reason. But I also discovered that, you know, there is a process, and people get more concerned with the process than they do with the goals. This is particularly difficult for somebody with a surgical mentality. Surgical mentality, what is the problem? Let's fix it and move on. But, uh, (laughs) you know, the bureaucratic mentality is let's dissect this thing six ways to Sunday, and let's talk about it for another six months and then let's come back and revisit it, and maybe we can do that again. You know, it's very, very frustrating, completely unnecessary. At case in point, there was one program we put together called FYI, Foster Youth Independence. And uh, some young people from Ohio came in and told us what was happening to them when they age out of foster care. And it was horrible. A quarter of them ended up homeless within four years. So within four months, our incredible staff put together a program so that we were giving out grants to these young people as they were uh, aging out of foster care. Not only a place to live, but wraparound services, the kinds of things that you would get from your family. Can you imagine being 18 years old and all of a sudden you're out all by yourself? Forget about it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. And uh, so providing them with the kind of wraparound services so we can move them onto a different trajectory and success in life. Very interesting. So that's a program that didn't get much publicity, but, man, you're changing lives there. Dr. Carson, you have concluded what uh, Booker T. Washington concluded, Frederick Douglass concluded, uh, especially early on in America. Life was not fair for everyone, but education is the key. That is what's going to allow you to think your way out of situations and overcome situations. Nothing really ch- – do you, do you, you sign on to that too, right? Absolutely. In fact, it is the key. You can come from any economic situation. You get a good education. You write your own ticket. So we put the working class or uh, the urban environment, uh, African-Americans, in a city where uh, maybe it's a, it's a not, not a nuclear family, not an ideal situation. We put them into schools that doesn't, don't pay a lot, that gets the least amount of funding. And then we ask them to excel uh, with teachers that aren't getting paid uh, maybe as much as they are in the suburbs to work with kids that have a lot more traditional background. How do we break that cycle? Well, first of all, we need some understanding of what we're doing. We have so many policies in place that actually keep people in a dependent situation. 
they keep people uneducated. You know, in, in housing, for instance, you make more money. You have to report that immediately if you're getting housing subsidies so your rent can go up. Well, that doesn't incentivize you very much. Someone comes into your household who has an income, you have to report that so that your rent goes up. That does nothing to to help support the creation of nuclear families. Uh, you know, there are all kind of policies like that that we have. We need to honestly look at those. And I've talked to several of the legislators about this. And uh, I get the distinct impression that some of them know this, but they're not all that interested in people not being dependent. And that, that's a problem. And that's, and that's why these discussions have got to get out. And that's why we have got to break right. through this big tech media uh, clamping down on information for people because they don't want people to know what we're talking about right now, Brian. Yep. Uh, listen, uh, invite me. Uh, I want to come. I, w- I would love to be part of a discussion with you leading it. Uh, Dr. Ben Carson has started the American Quarterstone. It's, uh, he wrote about it. It's called a much, and the title is a much needed endeavor. Uh, Dr. Carson, where do we go to find out more? American Cornerstone Institute.com. Got it. Dr. Carson, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Calls next. It's Brian Kilmeade with Fox News Podcasts Plus. You can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The top Republican on the House Armed Services Committee is asking you to apologize for some of the comments that you made yesterday in the briefing room about the Space Force. Will you apologize? I did uh, send a tweet last night. You may not all be on Twitter. Maybe they're not on Twitter. That said, we invite the members of Space Force here to provide an update to all of you on all of the important work they're doing, and we certainly look forward to seeing continued updates from there. They absolutely have the full support of the Biden administration, um, and uh, we are not revisiting the decision to establish the Space Force. So that was her walk back the next day when she realizes she insulted a arm of the armed services, Space Force. It is real. Space is real. Space needs to be defended. It needs to be where we keep our missile shield to a degree. We have to protect all our satellites, so you're probably not going to be able to use that iPhone. This is the cut that's unexplainable and unacceptable that started it. May ask whether the president has made a decision on keeping or keeping the scope of Space Force. Wow, Space Force. It's the plane of today. Um, it is an interesting question. Yeah, real interesting. And, but I'm heartened, despite the sarcasm, for everything that's Donald Trump, they just feel so much superior and better. Despite the sarcasm, they're keeping the Space Force. China's there. They don't worry uh, about how it looks. They just said, we need to defend space. We need to dominate in space. And there's a whole space program of going to going back to the moon and quickly to Mars. I'm very curious to see if Joe Biden and Jen Psaki see the merit in that. But for me, that's unexplainable, unacceptable. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to be welcoming to the show uh, John Hanrahan. He's the author of a new book called Wrestling with Angels. A uh, Penn State wrestler, had a run-in with opioids, like so many people listening to us right now, great people, uh, and he beat it. And there's so many people now, because of this pandemic, where I interviewed someone yesterday whose son committed suicide. He's a, he was an honor student, quarterback on the football team, 11 offers to play football in college, could not handle the lockdown. Um, and so many have gotten addicted to drugs and alcohol and just found themselves uh, very depressed. So I want to share John's story and talk about his book. Also, Larry Kudlow is the latest one I signed off on to make him a contributor. A lot of money, contributor and anchor, who knows? We're going to find out in a matter of moments because he left one job and has taken about three others since he left Donald Trump and his presidency. We'll talk about that, our economy, the rescue package. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Shannon Sharp said last week that he thinks that you probably would have gotten more criticism for your having the hat in the locker in 2015 for Trump um, had you been a black athlete. I'm not sure how to, you know, respond to, you know, hypothetical questions like that. We're in this position like I am to, again, try to be the best I could be every day. Donald Trump, you mean the president of the United States? How crazy is it that people are saying that he just assuming that's a negative when 75 million people voted for him? And that was the second election after he won the first time. Super Bowl days away of just days away. And Bucks legend Tom Brady is called out for his whiteness and his unwillingness to condemn a friend of his name, President Donald Trump. When is the obsession with race going to go away? Number two. Joe Biden is totally on board with using reconciliation. I've been talking to him every day. He told Senate Republicans that the $600 billion that they proposed was way too small. Really? Chuck Schumer, it sounds like you're running the country. That dark winter is getting a lot better and lighter. 27 million Americans have been vaccinated going into today. Two more vaccines are ready to get there. We also know over the last two months, cases have dropped over 40% in our country. That's good news, right? Plus, I'm going to give you the latest on the trillion-plus aid package, uh, more like two trillion-plus aid package, that Dems are threatening to do it alone. Number one. Vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. They have not released um, their official guidance yet from the CDC on the vaccination of teachers and what would be needed to uh, ensure the safe reopening of schools. Wow, Really? Uh, that's one thing. When the first person's a doctor, the next one's a press secretary. Back to school. You know the phrase. So why doesn't the Biden bunch use it when they speak about teachers and teachers unions across the country? Parents of all stripes of all parties are venting and acting on their frustration because they want their kids back in school. They see them not studying. They understand they're not succeeding. They also understand that these kids are wasting away for no reason. They are not susceptible to this virus, virtually not at all, More, not more than the flu. If they get it, they will beat it. Yes, there'll be exceptions, but not worth the risk of shutting down millions of kids from school. And I'm just stunned that this is something that is accepted. The Wall Street Journal 
uh, wrote an op-ed talking about the tragedy of school closures. Quote, a relevant anecdote is Ronald Reagan's famous explanation that he didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left him. Across the country, the past year has been the experience of parents with children. In many ways, the nation's public systems have been abandoned by schools. They've supported with their tax dollars. Unions have stood up and made parents stand down, and the kids stay home. Those last two lines were mine. The CDC director says schools can safely reopen. Why are they have to suing in San Francisco to get open? Why do they have to uh, ignore their governor in California and stay closed? Why are in Virginia are they not opening up really for the most part in most counties until March? Because... The unions have sway over the Democratic Party. I don't get it. To me, if you're Joe Biden, you're 78 years old, you got this job, and you're wondering, why do I do it? Don't I want to make an impact? Stand up to the unions. Worst comes to worst, some of the teachers don't vote for you next time. But I have news for you. Many teachers want to go back. They're the most dedicated people I know who do more out of their own pocket than almost anybody else in their job. But yet, when it became clear that the sciences go back to school, the press secretary punts on the question. First, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, cut one. There is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely. I would also say that um, safe reopening of schools is not um, that vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. And for the most part, I'm not going to bore you with some circuitous answer. Just know Jen Psaki, when asked, just talks about the need to get back to school safely. We provided billions of dollars. Ventilation, not an issue. Separation, not an issue. Policies and practices, not an issue. Uh, Staggering entrances, uh, exits, not a problem. Everyone can do it. The richest, the cheapest school. Doesn't matter. If there is a problem, I want these principals to call a press conference. We'll be the first one to cover it. But listen, when Mike Bloomberg calls you out, Joe Biden, you know you have a problem with your backbone. Cut five. It's time for Joe Biden to stand up and say the kids are the most important things. And the teachers just are going to have to suck it up and stand up and provide an education. The president has to stand up to the unions. We have a lot of city and state and federal employees who run risks. That's part of the job. You run risks to help America. Yeah, that's it. But in San Francisco, they have to sue the school district to force people to go back to school. And listen to this. Their mayor, Mayor London Breed, says the closure. This is hurting the mental health of our kids and our families. Our teachers have done an incredible job of trying to support our kids through the distance learning, but this isn't working for anyone, and we know that this we can do it safely. We need to get our schools open, but they're just not doing it. This, frust- this is beyond frustrating. Kids are wasting away. This is a time. It's an emergency. It's a five alarm fire. And you can't do this. This has been a complete year for people, let alone holding up parents for tuition while you keep kids out of school, out of the classroom and off campus or stuck in their dorm room. So you get the money as a university, but they don't get the learning. Cut seven. Katie Pavlich. 
So we've gone from follow the science to uh, we're going to extort the federal government for more money with no guarantee that we're actually going to get back in the classroom uh, to do our jobs when there are schools all over the country, uh, private and public, that have found ways to use the funding that they've been able to get from the federal government in previous relief packages and also from their local school districts to reopen safely. So, but in Chicago, the public schools announced the students will continue learning remotely. They are at a standstill. They're threatening to strike if they're forced to go back in Baltimore. The city schools are delaying plans to expand in-person learning as the teachers' union protests return to the classroom. So this is a major problem. Meanwhile, a, a major social pedi- uh, pediatricians group has called for the immediate reopening of schools. They are, they are apolitical. But the chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, including 1,500 doctors from counties, including Los Angeles, Riverside, San Bernardino, in a statement, the group says, prolonged school closures accelerate educational inequities and the negative impacts on the emotional and mental health of all students. So especially those I would say economically disadvantaged. When we come back, we'll be joined by Larry Kudlow, former White House economic advisor, uh, now with Fox. And then John Hanrahan on the challenges of alcohol, depression, and, uh, and substance abuse during this time. John is a, an outsta- was an outstanding wrestler and fell victim to the opioid epidemic. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Joe Biden is totally on board with using reconciliation. I've been talking to him every day. He told Senate Republicans that the $600 billion that they proposed was way too small. We share President Biden's desire to advance this legislation in a bipartisan way, but the work must move forward. We are not going to dilute, dither, or delay. Yeah, uh, there you go. It looks like Senator Schumer thinks he's running the country. I'm not sure if Joe Biden is or he is. But it sounds like he does not want to do a deal. In fact, you're looking forward to cutting out Republicans. Larry Kudlow, that used to be your old job uh, in the middle of all that politics. Now you're uh, you're at Fox. I'm thrilled. You're the former White House economic advisor. Uh, Welcome back, Larry. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Well, you were talking to me before you got paid to talk to me, so I'm honored. <laughs> so, be, 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 that's very funny i'm doing the same work but now i'm getting paid yeah so oh gosh so so before i get into the the politics of it how do you feel about coming here i thought you might take a little you've earned some time off but you came right back into the to the eye of the storm um what are you going to be doing here well i had a couple of weeks off so it wasn't too bad <clears throat> Uh, I'm really excited about the Fox media opportunity. Uh, it's it's great for me. We're gonna have uh, I'm gonna have my own show on Fox uh, Business Daily Show after the stock market closes, and I'll be doing a lot of um, commentary for Fox News as I have been this week. I, I guess I did three hits on Monday and three hits yesterday, and now I have my 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 own Brian Kilmeade here on radio <laughs> and. Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been been sort of re-energized. There's so much going on, and um, 
I want to get my platform so I could respond. I have a few thoughts on what's going on. Absolutely. Uh, first on this rescue plan, we just gave up $900 billion. Uh, what, I know you're I know you're conservative by nature, by trade, but now he says it's an emergency to get the one point nine trillion into the bloodstream. Where do you stand, Larry? Yeah, well, you know, this is um, <clears throat> this is probably 80 percent, maybe more uh, Democratic wish list is what this one is. You know, it's interesting here. All these numbers, one point nine trillion. My God, um, the House. Budget Committee Republicans just released a study, and all the prior five COVID relief bills, okay, five of them, uh, which has a total price tag of $3.7 trillion. Well, guess what? One trillion of that has not even been spent yet, okay? And the numbers here are so revealing. The Paycheck Protection Program, $280 billion unspent, health spending. $239 239 billion unspent uh, unemployment insurance 1.172 uh, billion unspent and on and on so you know you could argue that it would be great to first of all spend what's been legislated and then see how the economy is before you jump in with another couple of trillion including I might add a minimum wage hike which will do great damage to uh, African-Americans and other minority groups who work down in the small business category. Minimum wage is going to kill them. Uh, very dumb. And there's, you know, they're already starting their crusade against fossil fuel energy with, with climate change. So this is not good. Um, I, I don't like the package at all. I think it should be, uh, if you need anything, it should be slimmed down, way, way, way targeted, better targeting including, by the way, you see the headlines today. Um, a lot of Republicans, Mitch McConnell, for example, John Cornyn, others, uh, they don't want to spend any more money on teachers' union schools that refuse to open. Yep. Teachers' unions refuse to open schools, even though everybody knows the science, quote-unquote, is uh, favorable. They won't do it. So why should we give them money? That's, you know, Democratic constituency, the teachers union. There you go. Right there. That's something that should be knocked out. And by the way, let me just emphasize the minimum wage thing. I'm not even sure that's going to qualify under reconciliation rules. Now, the parliamentarian is going to be a Democrat, so he or she might uh, let it. But it should normally has nothing to do with the economy growing or COVID or anything like that. So I'm not happy with this package. Right. Uh, obviously, I, I got that. And also, you, you, people should know that you mean reconciliation can only be used for economic reasons. Yes. Is that what you're referring to? So you can't just yeah, pass it, immigration it, through reconciliation. You need 60 votes. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. Reconciliation means you can you can win 51 votes. Now, I'm not opposed to reconciliation. We used it. Uh, I mean, way, 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 way back when I was the deputy at OMB under Ronald Reagan. We started using reconciliation. And, of course, President Trump used it quite a bit. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with the policies. Let me add just one quick point, Brian. The Congressional Budget Office expects the economy to grow at 4% this year, with unemployment dropping to uh, 5.3. It's currently 6.7. That's a strong year. I think it's going to actually be even stronger as more and more uh, businesses uh, reopen. 
Um, so the idea that we are in this dire depression-like economic crisis is completely wrong. This morning, we just had another, the um, continuing unemployment claims continue to drop. They're now at a pandemic low. We're going to see much better job numbers, uh, I reckon, tomorrow and in the months ahead. So, you know, I, I think the rhetoric here, the so-called existential threat from climate warming and the so-called economic threat uh, or crash. It's just not true. It's just not true. Gotcha. We're getting rhetoric, but it's not true. So here's the good hope for the, the hope for Republicans. Joe Manchin, cut 14. It really needs to be debated. It doesn't work in different states or different. Some states already have $15. I think anybody that goes to work in the morning and works 40 hours a week and works 50 weeks a year, that's 2,000 hours, should be above a family of three, above the poverty guidelines. Uh, and that's not $15. I think that's way high I, from everything I've seen. That's so he's not going to go along with it as long as that's in it. And if he and if Joe Manchin holds the line, he'll have to negotiate. Larry, how great would it be for this country to see negotiation again? Well, it would be good. Uh, I'm not sure it's cataclysmic. Um, by the way, Senator Sinema from Arizona is going to have similar issues. She's a very moderate. Uh, generally pro-business Democrat. Joe Manchin's a good man. I know him well. Uh, I understand his position. We'll see. You know, uh, my guess is there might be two minor changes to get this behemoth through. One is they might pare down the increase in the minimum wage. That's a maybe, maybe. And uh, secondly, they may uh, limit the number of people that can get the checks, um, you know, maybe put an income limit of forty or fifty thousand rather than two or three hundred thousand. I think President Biden has already hinted at that one. But fundamentally, fundamentally, Brian, you just don't need this it. Thing is going to go through. It's going to go through, and it's just very poorly thought out. And I just add one thing. You know, I'm a supply sider. I can't help myself. Why don't the Republicans propose? some lower tax rates, which would permanently stimulate the economy by adding incentives to work and invest. Huh? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone says spend. I say cut taxes. Let people have more of what they earn. I know, but but right now, the keys to the the car are the Democrats right now. Uh, Larry, you guys got to get it back. Uh, But I look forward to seeing you in the hall. I just want to put it. I just want to put it on the table or okay. on the blackboard, so all the Democrats can say we hate tax cuts. That'd be fun. That'll be good. I could see you that being your opening monologue in your show, Larry Kudlow. Welcome <laughs> to Fox. Thanks so Brian, much. You're the best. Thank you're you. The best. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. John Hanrahan next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no doubt in our minds that um, the stress he was feeling as a result of school closures, not being able to be with his friends, not getting to play football, 
absolutely contributed to his death. In March, when the um, pandemic hit, there was talk about flattening the curve of COVID-19 deaths. But, um, you know, I wanted to come on today to talk about uh, the need to flatten the curve of uh, of uh, suicide deaths in uh, today's teens because, uh, you know, I really think it's um, it's a crisis. Well, uh, this is a crisis, and it's hitting people all across of all different ages, all different ethnic backgrounds, all different uh, incomes. Uh, John Hanrahan knows all about the challenges of dealing with uh, uh, issues out of his control. He's the author of a new book called Wrestling with Angels. Uh, he, he talks about uh, his training. He talks about the hurdles that he had to clear as a wrestler through college and, and, and the Olympics. And joins us now to talk about what he's been dealing with in his life and how it relates to yours. John, welcome. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here today to talk about this important subject. When you hear these kids suffering, for example, when they say they can't play sports, not, it's not just about getting a Penn State scholarship. It's about playing with your friends. It's about competing. Even if you're the first guy off the bench, you're the last. The, the, what, people listening who, aren't, who don't play sports go, what's the big deal? What's the big deal, John? It's incredible because there's so many in society now that have been ostracized, kind of just uh, put in their little personal silos, uh, no interaction, no uh, no sports, no uh, – if they get the opportunity to play sports, uh, maybe no none of their parents can even show up. I do coach uh, high school wrestlers on the side, and uh, luckily in Georgia, we're able to take them to the state tournament. I've got six that I'm taking next week, but uh, – it's it's really tough, and when you talk about the deaths of despair, our nation's epidemic is at an all-time high by all estimates. Uh, when I finished my book— uh, the When you say despair, you mean depression? Uh, yeah, when I, I mean uh, depression, suicide, substance abuse deaths, and alcohol deaths. They've been averaging about 70,000 a year. In a 10-year period, you can imagine that's uh, more than we've lost in all of our wars outside of the Civil War. But this year, with all best estimates, uh, they've skyrocketed up to 86,000, and that may be a conservative estimate because there's so much isolation going on. Uh, Kids or high school kids or adults or anyone that needs help with substance abuse now, they're really finding it hard, and they're really – really getting even more triggered with the isolation that comes with it. Because really the ingredients I talked about in the book that helped me was was fellowship and spiritual connection. And then I took it even further as a uh, strength and conditioning coach for many years. I've kind of used fitness and my sport of wrestling to kind of be a martial arts or a fellowship of uh, – fellow athletes that I share with almost the way uh, others share within 12-step meetings. But it's non-political. It's, uh, you know, you get together and you have a physical workout. And wrestling, the oldest sport known to man, is uh, probably the oldest martial arts. So it's just kind of a cleansing and a purity effect. And it's helped me to exercise all my demons of my past. At age 25, I had died from a drug overdose and actually miraculously came back uh, and part of the deal for me coming back, I'm sure certain of my reason was to share my own pain and suffering in a public way. And so that's what I do in my book, Wrestling with Angels. So, so John, first off, let's talk about your story a little bit. You're an elite athlete. You're at Penn State, and you're gunning for the Olympics. What's happened? What happened? I was. I was, um, you know— it, I represented the United States versus the mighty Soviet Union machine and uh, came within a point of their world silver medalist. And 
unfortunately, at the same at the same time, or not unfortunately, but America uh, was such a great power at my weight class. We had two world champions, Dave Schultz, who's featured in the movie Foxcatcher with his untimely death 25 years ago last week, and Lee Kemp, who was a three-time world champ. And I had some good battles with them and uh, was right in the mix and uh, kind of uh, at that time of my life, I kind of went off on two parallel tracks. I was still an elite athlete and really obsessed with my sport, becoming the best that I could be uh, competing at that level. I compete. I had competed against the Japan's Olympian who ended up bronze and beat him. And and so I was on, on a parallel track, but I was uh, slipping away into substance abuse. And uh, my my story is a saga of how that can happen to an all-American kid. And you know, nobody around me really knew the grips or the depths that I was sinking to. And so that's part of my story. And. Uh, Wrestling later in my life acted as a kind of a tether and a redemption, and got me grounded. And it got, and it went back first. Did you did you get hooked through recreational use or through pain addiction? I got hooked through recreational use. Uh, you know, in that era, late seventies, early eighties, it was almost. Where I grew up in Northern Virginia, we great wrestling town. There were six state champs on my in my neighborhood. But part of that kind of equation was like you want to be the best wrestler, and then also you want to be able to be the best party animal. So my obsessive nature took me on two parallel tracks, and then the the uh, substance abuse track slowly took over that. And, and but, you, uh, so and... that's kind of how that played out. Now, as I was finishing my manuscript. Uh, later on, my son broke his leg in a high school wrestling match, my oldest son, Connor, and that prescription led to addiction, and that created a whole family saga that's, that makes my book a multi, multi-generational uh, saga of really what happens, and, and it's all the struggles and, uh, that a family must go through. It's, 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 we all struggle, all of our families nationwide. How, how can I help someone in such desperate times? And and uh, and so that's what we went through. Luckily, my wife is real strong, and she actually funds our uh, runs our nonprofit now called RecoveryAngel.org, and she's helped so many other families just with advice. Because you can imagine when this happens, when this when this stuff. So you lost your son to opioid addiction. I didn't lose him. By uh, the grace of God, he's with us. He's 10 years clean. He just graduated from film school in London, and wow. he's on. He wanted me to share his story to help other kids. Uh, he's had many around him that he's found uh, that that have been found dead, even in a you know suburban neighborhood. Of understood, John. So when you hear these, when you see these 17, 18 year old kids, whether they're elite athletes like John Hanrahan, and you became a lot of success as a model, now you're one of the best fitness instructors in the country. You, uh, some of the people that you've dealt with is from Julie Roberts to Howard Stern to John F. Kennedy uh, to John F. Kennedy Jr. or John Kennedy. Yeah, is it JFK Jr.? Yeah, John Kennedy wow. Jr. Uh, which, said, whatever uh, you did with him, it was working. The guy didn't wear a shirt uh, for 10 years in Central Park. Um, so yeah. as you, as you learn about fitness, you've been the ultimate highs, ultimate lows, but, um, but a lot of people listening right now are, uh, feel like this pandemic is never ending. Some that never thought they'd be drinking so much, lost their ambition to work out. They're worried about their kids who are staring at their laptop all day or not logging on at all. What do you tell them, John? You know, really it goes back to finding something where you can create a fellowship and really zoom falls flat. Uh, but to 
create something that's going to give you positive endorphins. The positive endorphins, uh, uh, positive addiction uh, is really what you, what you need. You need the fellowship. You need to, if, if you're at your lows, you need to really kind of get back into a 12-step uh, program, something that's going to, uh, you're going to have a group of like-minded people there that have nothing but love for you. And I think as a society, we need to come together. The thing I was shown in my near-death experience was, was, uh, was just that, that sense of unity. All of our souls are connected, and we need to find that and share that love with each other. There's it's too much judgmental uh, behavior going on with, um, with all the things in society. Now, look, just think how, just how unbelievable hard it is for a parent that, that sent their, their son or daughter to rehab or substance abuse and uh it's like when you have to make the decision it's like your house is burning down because it comes on suddenly and you've got to uh, go through all the ropes to find the the right treatment center and all this and that's something that people need more help with and insurance companies don't help you at all there's nobody on there to help you navigate those waters but uh it's it's something that you want to do and then there's a lot of resentment if you if you're coming out of pocket and, and People are spending just thousands of dollars their life savings. You've got to hold that love for that individual that has that disease because it becomes a family disease, and you have to keep that hope and that faith for them. And I, I give that hope to even the families that if I had loved ones pass away because what I was shown in my near-death experience kind of gives hope in that direction. And it's hard to explain in a quick hit on this, but uh, believe me, uh, Hope and love and prayers are real, and they were shown to me to be just that. Uh, I want to talk about that in a second. I want to see if you can relate to this. This is the dad, Chris Buckner's dad, whose son uh, took his life in January. This is what he said to me about what he's trying to do now, and that is get these kids back in school in some normalcy. Cut 10. The other broader message I would send is that uh, to kids and parents alike, uh, depression and uh, potential suicidal thoughts are very hard to see. You really have to talk with your kids, really, really talk to them. And kids, you have to check on your friends, really, really talk to them, put the phone down. Um, but most importantly, I think my message is to people that don't be ashamed of it. Mental illness is not unlike cancer or if you've got a broken bone in a freak accident. You wouldn't be ashamed of it. You didn't do anything to get it. And you certainly wouldn't try to get better without talking to your parents, your friends, seeing a doctor, and taking medication. That That's part of what you said to, to reach out, right? That is uh, such wide, wise words because shame is such a part of this. Uh, my wife and I, we got to the point we had to joke with each other while my oldest son was um, was going to the couple rehabs that we had sent him to he failed at one uh, relapse is part of this disease too uh, so there's no real magic cure so you've got to be ready for that as a parent but you've got to you've got to kind of know keep your finger on the pulse with them but uh, as, as other kids were uh, putting banners up families were putting banners up for what college graduate colleges their kids are going to the next fall we we laughed we are going through through such despair we should put up the uh, banner for the treatment center that we he just graduated from so you got to keep a little humor uh and parents have got to stick together families have got to stick together because it's just tearing people apart john hanrahan with us john wrote the book wrestling with angels pick it up uh, he's had big highs and, and there was one devastating low, but he beat it and continues to spread the word. John, you mentioned that you had a near death experience. It's quite vivid though. Do you mind sharing it? 
It is quite it is quite vivid, but uh, you know, it always frustrated me to really tell the story. It happened when I was age twenty five. I was uh, administer a lethal dose of cocaine, and it was administered by a doctor who was a neighbor of mine who was also an addict, and uh, it uh, pulled my it ripped my soul out of my body and uh, took me in front of our Creator, the Great Light, and I was shown the prayers of my parents and my brothers and sisters who were all concerned at, for me at the time. They had tried an intervention a couple weeks later. It didn't stick, but uh, I knew I was on my last leg. And as I stood in front of that great light, I was, I was, uh, I asked one request. I, I wanted for my parents and loved ones not to suffer over my death. It was, I knew I was at a tearing point in my life. I would, I was even carrying a, I was even putting a uh, note in my pocket in case my body was found, just so they didn't think that I had committed a, uh, a suicide. But I was able to return to life, and so I knew when I came back that I needed to put my experience together to shed light and, and give hope to others, and that's what I've done with Wrestling with Angels. And and since that time, you haven't done any drugs? Since that time, there were some uh, there were some relapses. That, as I say, that's part of uh, that's part of the progression. And uh, but that at that moment, I was connected to my spiritual power, to the high power that that many need to go through the twelve step process to get to. But uh, it's clear to me every day. Uh, but by the grace of God, from that experience, I've. I've, I've got the strength and the foundation that I've been uh, 35 years clean. Nice. John, uh, great inspirational story, and we need it more than ever. The uh, opiate addiction is going through the roof. We just saw a major lawsuit settled as uh, McKinsey Group was marketing this opioid thing to doctors who were, th- who were throwing it on us for the last 20 years. And now we got a, a, a country who, who by mistake, uh, find themselves addicted uh, to this uh, to opioids as pain relief, and it's just finally coming out of our haze now. Uh, but now with this pandemic, we need your expertise again. You can uh, f- his Twitter handle is at Private Training. Uh, John Hanrahan's wrote the book Wrestling with Angels, and it is a great book to see. To see uh, maybe you can relate to almost every aspect of John's life or someone in your life. John, thanks for sharing it. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. All right, uh, go get him and have a great day. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls are next. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. After you won the NFC Championship, you know me, I'm all happy. This is my first threat. I'm geeked up. And then, like... I guess somebody was crying, and I guess, like, I heard him. just like, what the f*** crying for? Are we not done yet? <laughs> Wait a minute. Who was crying? Who, who was that I crying? I, I don't remember. I want to say it was, it was, I don't know if it was Chris Gowan or Jaden Mickens. It was somebody, and uh, it was like, it was just him. what the f*** crying for? Are we not done yet? Damn. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah like, he right. He right. So that was uh, Levante David, a star linebacker with the Buccaneers, team captain. He'll be playing his first uh, Super Bowl on, on his first Super Bowl, obviously. But for Brady, it's his uh, what is his tenth or eleventh, Pete? His tenth. 
Uh, his 10th. Let me just hit uh, mute on this. Uh, 10th or 11th? Uh, 10th. So he's uh, saying, what are you crying for? You haven't got there. It's just part of the Super Bowl mania. But this is a Super Bowl without a lot of mania. But I know you're all interested. It makes me wonder if there is indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. So the Masked Singer's a runaway hit for Fox. Host Nick Cannon is fantastic, but he's tested positive with the COVID-19 virus. So Nicey Nash will step in. Nicey Nash will fill in for, two, for the fifth season of The Masked Singer, which set the premiere in March. Cannon's expected to return to hosting duties later on this season. Uh, I hope it's not bad. Usually, you know, young guys who are healthy like him don't really have it bad. Uh, who is that? Is she a rea- reality star? Uh, uh, Nisi Nash. She's, a, she's a, an actress. She was on a show, I think, called Reno 911 many years ago. Very funny show. Okay, next. Uh, BLM leaders uh, slam Adam Schiff's urge. Um, I guess it's uh, Adam Schiff wants to be the next attorney general of California, but Black Lives Matter doesn't like that. After reports recently surfaced that he wanted to do it, uh, this tweet went out. We're proud to join the letter calling on uh, California Governor uh, Gavin Newsom to not appoint Adam Schiff as our next attorney general. Schiff has spent his career serving the interests of police associations. Uh, too bad. Next. Canada has become the first nation to declare the Proud Boys a terrorist organization. I never even heard of the Proud Boys up until six months ago. Next, Trader Joe's temporarily raises pay by $4 an hour for all employees, but then cancels their raises. So what good is it? Sounds like a PR move. Next, Morgan Wallen ineligible for the ACM Awards because he used a racial slur. Uh, you know, he's taken some heat before. The 27-year-old country star is uh, red hot in the music business, but he has announced that he had been suspended his record contract indefinitely by iHeartRadio told Fox News that they chose to pull his music and content from their stations uh, for something he has said. Uh, a statement, uh, Wallen's potential involvement and eligibility for the 56 Academy Awards will not happen. Uh, evidently, the Academy said they'd be looking into their awards and eligibility in the submission process to begin with. So I guess he made said something he should know. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, Dana Perino at the bottom of the hour. It's having a great time with Bill Hemmer on the Fox News Channel uh, until 11. And then I convinced her to join us here, uh, bring us inside the story. I just saw that Chicago had a press conference, the mayor did, and talking about the need to get back to school. Do you believe this? Democratic mayors, liberal Democratic mayors in San Francisco and Chicago demanding that teachers' unions let their teachers go back. I have more respect for teachers than basically anyone you will ever meet. But I don't have respect for unions because the focus has to be on the kids. Where every teacher I know is focused on that, but I don't think the unions are at all, and we're seeing it abundantly clear. Where is the White House pressuring down on the unions? They're so, what are they, afraid of the next donation? You're 78 years old. You're going to be 81 by the end of your term, Joe Biden. Can you possibly do something for the country? Josh Holmes, in a matter of minutes, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Shannon Sharp said last week that he thinks that you probably would have gotten more criticism 
for your having the hat in the locker in 2015 for Trump um, had you been a black athlete? I'm not sure how to, you know, respond to, you know, hypothetical questions like that. We're in this position like I am to, again, try to be the best I could be every day. Yeah, Tom Brady trying to avoid a question is just ridiculous and just pro- provocative. Super Bowl days away, and Bucks legend Tom Brady called out for his whiteness in a USA Today column. And with that question, when is the obsession in this country with race going to subside? Number two. Joe Biden is totally on board with using reconciliation. I've been talking to him every day. He told Senate Republicans that the $600 billion that they proposed was way too small. Uh, that is New York's Chuck Schumer. The dark winter getting much lighter. 27 million Americans have gotten vaccinated. Cases have dropped over the past couple of months, 44%. Plus, I'll give you the latest on the almost $2 trillion aid package the Dems are threatening to go with alone. Number one. Vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools. They have not released um, their official guidance yet from the CDC on the vaccination of teachers and what would be needed to uh, ensure the safe reopening of schools. That is Rochelle Rolensky saying you can open up a school and that's Jen Psaki refusing to demand it. From the White House, back to school. You know the phrase is, why doesn't the Biden bunch go out and demand the teachers union give in and let the kids go in? We'll talk about that. Josh Holmes joins us now. He's a former chief of staff to Senator Mitch McConnell, president and founding partner of Calvary LLC, and co-host of the podcast, Ruthless. So you got a podcast going, I see you all over the channel. Josh, your life is busier now that you're away from Mitch McConnell. I mean, I got to be honest. It is. It's good. It's good. I see you're pretty busy, too, Brian. You're everywhere. I know. Well, it's fun. It's fun talking about this, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. First off, yesterday, with Liz Cheney, the vote, only 60 uh, Republicans voted to oust her. We got the sense that there was much more sentiment to get rid of her. Uh, I think that she is fantastic because you people don't agree with her stand when it comes to the president being impeached. I get it. People really like the president. Here's Liz Cheney after she got an overwhelming, resounding confirmation vote. Cut 28. We really did have a a terrific vote tonight, a terrific time this evening, um, laying out what we're going to do going forward. Uh, as well as making clear that we're not going to be divided and that we're not going to be in a situation where people can pick off uh, any member of leadership. Uh, It was a very resounding acknowledgement that we uh, need to go forward together and that we need to go forward in a way that helps us beat back uh, the really dangerous and negative Democrat policy. Steve Scalise was happy about that. Kevin McCarthy was happy about that. Were you, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. I was happy about that. Look, Liz Cheney is just rock solid, right? I mean, she is somebody who uh, has provided just steadfast leadership, prospective leadership in trying to keep that conference together and focused on the things that matter. And and that's what, you know, she's always done. Clearly, there's a disagreement within the conference about her vote on impeachment. And that's fine. But that was, you know, three weeks ago. Right. We got huge challenges in front of them. And, and I think that, that that House Republican conference is much better served with Liz Cheney in a leadership position than without. Right. Uh, so your ex-boss, Mitch McConnell, a much different tone than Kevin McCarthy. And the the other big, big issue is Congressman Green, Congresswoman Green. She just got there. Her tweets in the past are indefensible. And they almost sound farcical uh, about <laughs> lasers, uh, Jewish lasers being sent down to burn up forests in the West Coast uh, to praising, praising QAnon. But still, the people of Georgia put it there, put her there. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Cut 26. 
we denounce anything that we've seen that was said in that past from anything with QAnon has no place in our party. And Marjorie Greene actually said that inside our conference today. She said it before, but she said from the shootings and everywhere else. And if that gave people problems, she's a small business owner. So we'd say budget and small business. I was more than willing to do that. The conference was willing to do that. And Steny Hoyer and the Democrats said no. They're going to judge her on things that were said that she has now denounced before she was ever a member of Congress. So that's, I think, important. This is stuff that was yeah. done before. She still won an election. And now she's deemed, about to be deemed, not worthy of Congress. Yeah, you know, I'm conflicted on this, Brian, because I— on one hand, having spent as much time under the dome as I have, I, I really do think that the American people ought to expect more out of elected representatives. I mean, the kind of conspiracy theories that she embraced are, are as you said, entirely indefensible. Now, I understand that she's apologized for them. She's been elected, and she and we're moving on. But there's just also this dynamic in the last couple of, of, of election cycles where these, these freshman Congress uh, people are elected, and within two weeks, that's, they're the only people anybody can talk about. And of course, I'm talking about AOC two years ago, and, and now Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think we'd be a lot better focused on people who are actually making a difference in making law and affecting Americans in one way or another, rather than this sort of sideshow about who's outraged about what everybody else is saying. No, no, I hear you, but it's still going to have a vote today to take her off the committee. So basically, she has nothing to do for the next uh, two yeah. years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there's precedent for it. I mean, Kevin McCarthy moved very quickly a couple of years ago to take Steve King's uh, committee assignments away after some incredibly racist comments that he made, and I think appropriately removed him from that. Uh, but, but of course, he already had a record in Congress and made all those comments while he was a congressman. So there's a distinction there. I just think the whole thing's a sideshow, Brian. Honestly, I, we got some serious problems facing this country, and the more time we spend focused on a, a, a member of Congress who was elected three weeks ago or, or installed three weeks ago, the, the less time we're spending focusing on things like COVID, which is really where our heads ought to be at. No, no, I know, but you know, I can't set the agenda for the Democratic House members. They're going to vote for it yeah, today, for sure. so that and that they want to make the, yeah. they want to make her the face of the party. No question. That's, they want right. to keep talking all, about the January 6th. No question, right? Absolutely. That's that's their plan. And it's all politics with Nancy Pelosi. I mean, you saw the ridiculous statement that she put out yesterday where she, she instead of saying our California for Kevin McCarthy, she put Q California, which is just a sort of sophomoric nonsense that doesn't belong in our government, in particular at a time of great challenge. I mean, this is the... You would expect more out of college juniors, you know, interning on a campaign than the Speaker of the House. And and that's really a sad indictment on where we're at. So, Josh, have you had a chance to talk to Senator Mitch McConnell over the last few weeks? I've, yeah, I've had a couple of conversations with him. He's got his hands full, though. I'll tell you, <laughs> he got, got a lot going on. I mean, obviously, very upset at the president. They'll probably never speak again. But he understands the president's still got a tremendous amount of power. How do you game plan this out for me? Where are we going to be in a few weeks? Where are we going to be in a few months on the Republican side? Because the Democrats are doing a lot to unite the Republicans. Uh, the stuff they're doing is pure agenda. It's not for the economy or the country. Yeah, you put your finger on it. I mean, I think, look, Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump were one of the most successful pairs uh, in the history of politics. I mean, the things that they got done to reshape the American judiciary, 
reform the tax code. I mean, just a number of criminal really justice reform big ticket. Yeah, big ticket accomplishments. And so, you know, but again, that's that's in the past. I think where his head's at and where everybody's head's at who believe in conservative governance ought to be on what's happening with Joe Biden and his administration, because they ran on a, at a very moderate tone, sort of caretakers of the country. And what ended up happening in the first two and a half weeks is is further to the left than Barack Obama ever dreamed to bring us. And so, you know, the more time you spend looking backwards and, and, and not focused on what's actually happening, the more ground you're going to lose. And, and that's where McConnell is focused at this point. So when you see this uh, $2 trillion uh, rescue plan, when you haven't spent $1 trillion that's still there, we just had Larry Kudlow on, he says there's $1 trillion still left unspent, and it's an emergency. We've got to get $1.9 trillion more. And he talked about all the categories it's in, from schools um, to health care. It's all there. So he says it's an emergency. Yeah. How real is Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema's, uh, and maybe Senator Kelly of, uh, of Arizona, how real is their push to negotiate? Do you believe do you believe Joe Manchin when uh, he says something like this? Cut 13. The need for a pandemic relief is needed. Uh, people can decide on what the size of that needs to be. The president has said one point nine. And then my Republican colleagues and friends have taken a different approach. But at least they started this. And I thought it was a great meeting last night that the president the first entertainment of any legislatures was 10 of my friends and Republican colleagues who went and spent two hours with the president. That showed a tremendous gesture of goodwill. Now we just got to find a bipartisan way through. He's the only one saying that. Schumer is not. What do you believe, Josh Holmes? Yeah, I don't. I don't I candidly, having experienced an awful lot of Joe Manchin, he always says the right things and always makes you feel good about it. But in the end, I, I've yet to see him cast a vote that doesn't enable the Democratic majority. And, and here's the thing, like what, what he just said, he had an opportunity to put an end to the partisanship just this week when he voted on a party line basis to enable that reconciliation process, which would give them COVID relief without negotiating with Republicans. So he, are, he really already had the vote and, uh, and, he, and he stuck with his, his partisan side. He has another opportunity, and, and I hope he and, and others will take that opportunity because there is nothing easier, honestly, in Congress that you can accomplish right now than a COVID relief package. It's something that everybody everybody agrees on. Already done four. Did it. Yeah, I mean, Trump and McConnell did it twice with 90-plus votes in the United States Senate. And here Democrats are two weeks into their new majority, and they're saying they can't get anything done. It's not just a, a Democratic only vote. It's it's absurd. So it doesn't get easier from here. And uh, and it's a disappointing start. That's for sure. I'll tell you what. He said, we will not, I will not vote on a $15 minimum wage. And Schumer said he's not changing anything. So right there, <laughs> he's going to look at, he's going to be tough to believe if he sides on to this with a $15 minimum wage. He also said earlier, two days ago, that the number 1.9 is too big. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and, and so he's going to have a, a bunch of opportunities to try to push back on Chuck Schumer. But I'll be honest, I don't, I don't think Joe Biden is, is pushed back on Chuck Schumer. You know, Joe Biden started this conversation by saying he wanted to have 10 Republicans in and talk about their priorities. And the next day, they move forward Democratic-only legislation. So there's a lot of people that are saying the right things and doing the wrong things. 
And that's we really got to pay attention to that because I think too often in our in our culture, the tone is captivating and the reality is a lot different. Then that's how I'm going to end with Governor Cuomo. Got a great tone. You know, he comes out, he acts like he's in control. Totally. You ask him a tough question. Uh, he snaps in a condescending fashion. Turns out he is a, a terrible leader from within. Nine health officials have stepped away. He seems to be throwing his health, uh, his, health, um, uh, his health commissioner out to the wolves on this whole nursing home situation. He refused to uh, really make any uh, – he does policy by press conference, much like Anthony Fauci, by the way. And people have yeah. to jot down what he says in the press conference to figure out the policy he wants. So he is – he comes off – he – you know, he, Robert De Niro might be his friend and that might be great for him. And he might have a best-selling book. But do you believe the air is coming out of that balloon? Well, it has to because the facts are coming out, right? I mean, for so long, Cuomo's entire existence as it relates to COVID was just a, a shell game where that relied upon the media not looking at, at the statistics of what was happening in New York and focusing on the jokes and his daughters and, and everything else, the color of the press conferences. You know, and meanwhile, you can contrast that with what Ron DeSantis in Florida, who's doing all the right things and actually leading them through and was getting terrible press at the time. Right. And so, yeah, I think I think the air is coming out of the balloon for sure. And, and I think ultimately, as more facts come out in retrospect is given to all the leadership that he's provided in New York. People are going to be extremely disappointed that they were ever complimentary of his efforts. And this what he's done to businesses without going by the science, what he's destroyed, the restaurant business, the entertainment business, he's destroyed it all. There was no effort made. Just shut it down uh, with this terrible mayor who he doesn't speak to and a majority leader and a New York senator who he also doesn't speak to. Who does this guy get along with except himself and Robert De Niro? Uh, Josh, thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Listen, we're going to find you. Know, congratulations on the podcast. You're co-host of it. It's called Ruthless. And where do we get it? Oh, you got to go anywhere you can get your your uh, podcast. So Apple, whatever, you know, it's on your iPhone. Ruthless is the name of it. We're having a blast with it, Brian. I appreciate you saying something. Uh, no problem. Former Chief of Staff of Center Mitch McConnell also managed Mitch McConnell's reelection in 2014. Josh, thanks. You bet. All right, when we come back, your turn, 1-866-408-7669, and then we welcome to this studio, I'm actually going to see a person, Dana Perino. A radio show of the people, for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. WDBO is where our, we're lucky to have an affiliate, a great affiliate there uh, in Orlando. Heidi, you're on. Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. Hey, I just wanted to thank you so much for giving parents resources for their children. When when your kid goes down that rabbit hole of drug addiction and abuse, you don't know where to turn. And um, guys like John that you had on. John Hanrahan. Yeah. I mean, you just cling to anything. And my son went through rehab about... A year ago, in fact, on February 2nd, he reached out to us for help, which is rare. And we sent him to a three-month, a 90-day program. And the director said, it's two years before these kids can recover their lives back. It's not just a 30-day. 
And what he said about relapses is so true, too, because my son relapsed, but you pick yourself up and you start over. And I just wanted to um, praise you for giving us those extra resources. I immediately jumped on my mom's line and said, hey, moms, um, here's another resource for us. Wow. So thank you. Awesome. Hey, listen, a lot of parents get embarrassed by it, but they shouldn't be. And the the, yeah. the father I talked to about whose son killed himself the first week of January, this kid oh, was an honor student with a ton of friends, the quarterback on the football team. And, you know, he lost his identity through this pandemic, had depression issues. And the father, you know, said, I just got to tell everybody because you got to just jump in if you see anything. And I also believe, and I don't, I don't know what the stats show, I also think people are born more susceptible to addiction. You inherit that. Um, but we'll talk about it. Heidi, thanks so much, and I'm glad I'm glad your family's doing okay and your son is doing better. Uh, that was John Hanrahan because so many kids are suffering with schools, and this story ended up morphing into that. Uh, addiction, uh, isolation, depression, and hopefully it stops there. We can be aware of it. Uh, so listen, when we come back, I'm going to have a, free, uh, a free-flowing conversation with Dana Perino. We'll try to weave in some more calls, too. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I remember Vince Vaughn went to say hello to President Trump. I remember that uh, Ellen DeGeneres wanted to, uh, had a conversation with uh, President Bush. And they had to explain themselves. I mean, that's crazy. That's in your yeah. business. These are, these are titans of the business. No, I, I, I hear you. You know, and, and look, it, it's like it's like uh, this this immediacy of this culture with Twitter and everything else and comments and stuff. It was about what you tweeted about. Okay, yes. so it's like, hey, what was the tweet? And then all of a sudden, it became like, well, if an issue came out and you didn't tweet support for it it was your non-tweet that got you in trouble i heard like, where <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> you're like what and people are coming out going you know yeah that's right i'm i i'm going to stand up and i want everyone to know i'm I, i'm against rape and you're like well no shit. <laughs> what did you have to come out and say that or you know what did you have to defend i hear and we're talking about the cancel culture and how they're trying to ca- catch Tom Brady and uh, damn him for his whiteness uh, because he actually is friends with Donald Trump. Dana Perino, co-anchor of America's Newsroom, uh, fresh off America's Newsroom. I'm so excited. It's a two-hour show where you and Bill Hammer have teamed up with this brand-new show. And uh, one thing we uh, – Roger Ailes always said, you could always tell if, uh, if a person's um, doing well if they're smiling. And a lot of times, like right now, I have the I have it on mute because I'm doing the show. Right, right. You and Bill are laughing the whole time. You guys seem to be having a great time. Are you enjoying it, Brian? I love it. I yeah. love it. And it was such a surprise to me when um, when they decided to do a different programming schedule in the day, and they said we have an idea. I was like, okay, I'm interested in ideas. I had no idea that they were going to try to pair me with Bill Hemmer. Uh, he and I've. Uh, been friends for 10 years or so and we only co-anchored one thing together during uh, the election um and i learned from roger ailes as well that chemistry you either have it or you don't and you can't manufacture it and if you're trying too hard to make it look like you get along with somebody then that's not good to get that for phony anybody. 1970s news and it has just been so such a joy 
I love the early morning wake up. I love having uh, somebody to bounce ideas off of. I think we have a great team. I feel so supported at Fox, and it's just been wonderful. And I hear, like, my mom sent me a text on the second day of the show, and she said, you look like your true self. Wow. And I thought, wow, who knew? I, I didn't know I needed a new show and a new partner. <laughs> well, I know that's great. And Bill always makes people look good, too, it's right? It's true. And he's he's a very generous person, thoughtful, and he's so good at broadcasting. Right. Um, he does. He has a lot of moves, you know, when he's broadcasting. Have you never noticed, like, he's he'll have a lean or a look, he'll look down, and then he's got this thing where he does, where he's checking his his IFB, and then he's always moving around. And I stare straight ahead, and I started to think, like, do I need to move? <laughs> like, do I need to be moving around? Well, But that wouldn't be authentic. Wow, you're, you are, do you think out everything? You are a deep thinker. <laughs> he said to me yesterday, he goes, you have a lot of ideas. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it works. And we get that in the 5-2. So, Dana, uh, this whole thing with uh, with Tom Brady, did you guys talk about that at all? We No, we weren't able to because we had the breaking news for the uh, Lori Lightfoot mayor of Chicago press conference. So uh, we weren't able to talk about Tom Brady. But I read that piece yesterday. Yeah, you read the piece. Eric, do you want to play that cut that Pete deserves all the credit for finding? Okay. Shannon Sharp said last week that he thinks that you probably would have gotten more criticism for your having the hat in the locker in 2015 for Trump um, had you been a black athlete or or basically that black athletes aren't given as much room to weigh in on you know political topics and topics that could be controversial. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are in response to that. I'm not sure how to you know respond to you know hypothetical questions like that you know i hope everyone can you know uh we're in this position like i am to again try to be the best i could be every day as an athlete as a player as a person in my community for my team and so forth so yeah i'm not sure what else he answered that fine but uh, what about the reporter question you think that's a fair reporter question well the report that reporter asked um and also but mentioned right that shannon sharp said it yeah. Right. So is that it's not just coming from the media, but yesterday I read the sports columnist from USA Today saying something very similar. I think that's where this uh, you know all sort of originated. Um, I find that most people that are in sports, if they want to talk about politics, they talk about it. I mean, is but also I think if people don't want to talk about politics, I support not talking about politics. So here's the thing: what I don't understand is the reach for race. There's, there's things you got to talk about race. I don't think – here's an example. Shannon Sharp went on to say that if LeBron James was friends with Farrakhan, he'd be told you can't be friends with Farrakhan. Why is it okay for a white Tom Brady to be friends with Donald Trump? Comparing – Trump I, to Farrakhan? Trump to Farrakhan. Right. And why is it bad to like a – I mean, you know this. Why is it – oh, you better make an excuse for liking President Trump. He has said over and over again, we're friends. Don't worry about who I voted for. You know, for. I've been dealing with a little bit of this that um, I have some friends uh, from my White House days that have decided you know, that they no longer support Republicans at all and, in fact, actively campaign against them. And I haven't disowned them as friends because they've taken different political tactics. Although there are some people who say, can you believe this? Can you believe that? And I, I have to say, look, I'm not going to lose another friend over politics. I'm just going to respect people and move on. And maybe I won't even talk to them about it. Um, I think the story for Tom Brady and Mahomes this weekend is an incredible American story. And doesn't America need a moment yeah. to come together and be like, wow, you've got a young quarterback versus this guy who everyone thought was going to retire, including me. I predicted it on the five that he was going to retire that year, and he didn't. And he comes back to go back to the Super Bowl. This is a great story. 
We don't need to bring politics into I it. I think this, and the fact is, you're not the biggest sports fan, but you're a big event person. I you, love American you, events. Right. So I think this is the most easily sold matchup in the history of Super Bowls. Because Absolutely. you have this 25-year-old superstar against this 43-year-old who people still, I can't, I can't figure out how he does it. And here's the thing. If you watch uh, some of these players when they get older in their 40s, sometimes they're completing pass. They can't get out of the way. I'm watching them go, move around. I go, wait a second. This is unthinkable how he's so supple and so agile, never being a big runner. So I won and downloaded his book, that TB12 book, because he does some unique things that help everybody. Like, for example, he doesn't eat strawberries because they cause inflammation. He won't eat tomatoes. Oh, yeah. He's got a strange diet. Yeah. He does. A, he does it's a lot very of like, strict diet. Yeah. He has a way to keep his body and his muscles, uh, I, I guess, loose that he never gets hurt either in I the wonder, most physical sport in the wait, country. Wait. In that book, what does he, he eat I just a lot started of? It. I, I just got. I just started. I just got the point. He only reads. He got out of this, Dana. You read your books, right? Yeah. He only read the forward to his book. Then he ah. had somebody else track it. Uh, but it just talks about everything he does every single day with his trainer. And I know Bill Belichick, by the way, got mad at his trainer and wouldn't let him come in the locker room anymore. I think that was the beginning of the end of that yeah. relationship. Well, the trainer obviously knew what they were doing. Oh yeah, we've never seen anything. Like, I've never seen anything like so it. So I'm excited for that. And I think politics doesn't even. We don't need to have politics that weekend. So you don't think this is going to be a big deal? I think it is as big a deal as we want to make it. And I choose not to make politics a big deal for anybody going into this weekend for the Super Bowl. All right. Uh, I'm going to give one uh, sports. I'm just going to let Patrick Mahomes talk about Tom Brady. Cut 41. If you're a young athlete um, and you play any sport and you don't look up to guys like uh, Tom Brady, then you're crazy. I just need to watch him and watch the things that he does on and off the field in order to figure out the best way to make me the best player possible. So like gracious. That. Yes. So, so gracious is, and smart and respect. Big. Right. Right? And isn't that what, like, um, sportsmanship, is, is it a lost art No, you or know, a lost value? I'm going to drill down further than you. I think we've forgotten how to lose in this country. Right. And I think there, there's uh, most of us losing on a daily basis, whether it's the train you caught or the job you wanted. You know, you missed – and I have way too much experience losing. I know how to lose. Well, I was, and, so, and we just don't know how to lose. We don't want to admit it. Do you remember when you did that um, whole p- big package about uh, violence breaking out at youth sports? Yeah. Okay. Don't you think that's also part of it, which is that adults need to teach children how to lose gracefully, also how to win gracefully, and be a good sport about things and enjoy the athleticism and the game, and that winning is great. Um, but more about teamwork, and not so right. much about hating the other side. Now, I'm going to give two of my beliefs that most uh, most coaches and athletes will tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> they go, if you show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I never believe that. And number two is Bill Parcells wrote a book called No Medals for Trying. And I'm like, really? Well, sometimes you do everything you can in life, everything, and it doesn't work out, Right. I think you have to walk away saying, I did everything I can. It doesn't work out. If you're going to uh, be unable to accept when things go wrong and you feel as though it wasn't right that they went wrong, you're going to have a terrible life. You're never going to be happy. You'll Sometimes, always be a victim. Yeah, that's and, a good point, too. And also, you one of the things that I think managers or coaches look for is, can you take a punch? Right? Can, can you get up off the mat? Right. And And can you... Learn something from that experience. Can you try harder? Can you eliminate strawberries from your diet or whatever it takes to be Tom Brady? Sacrifice. Can you do that? And are you a resilient person? I think those are the kind of characteristics that sports 
Uh, even politics um, can teach you. But I remember the first time that you hopped up as press secretary because uh, Tony Snow, knowing him, fearing that he's sick, and you had to step yeah. in there. Yeah. But you were so cool under pressure. I mean, we're in the middle of the Iraq <laughs> war. You're taking these questions. I, yeah. I, you know, one of the things that helped me there was that um, as the deputy press secretary, Tony Snow gave me a lot of responsibility. And I encourage this, um, and I, I have this new book coming out called Everything Will Be Okay, and it's mentoring advice for women. And I write about how if you are the manager, you should always make sure to give your people FaceTime with the boss, an opportunity to step up, to go to the meeting and be the voice for the office, because that's how I was able to find my footing. If I had just been like thrown up there without ever having that experience and never briefed, imagine I had never briefed the president before. Tony Snow had me do all of the pre-briefs for President Bush before any interview or press conference. Right. And that kind of experience was invaluable. Sometimes, though, leaders will hog the time with the boss or the president or the CEO or whoever it might be, or the coach. Um, I think that spreading that out is so important, and managers should be judged on whether they can help grow talent. Right. By the way, uh, just to play this out, if you look at Fox & Friends, uh, Megan Albana was on Fox & Friends. She was uh, producing with you, produces The Five. You have uh, Brian Tully doing the 7 o'clock at, at night. Uh, Tucker Carlson obviously is a host from there. Yep. But so many of the uh, the other producers have started on Fox and Friends, but they were like, as soon as you get that opportunity, you go. But on Fox and Friends, you learn to do everything. That, you always want to hire people who worked on Fox and Friends. It's the toughest hours. It's the most creative. It's uh, early morning guests. You got to sh- shot out of a cannon. You got to cut tape, and you got to come up with the chirons and the graphics, and everything has to happen all at once on that show. Um, it reminds me a little bit of how people that work in corporations should always try to hire Republican communicators because I guarantee you they've had to work harder. So this nonsense about not hiring Trump people, people that worked in the Trump administration, you're crazy because you're missing out on some great talent. They will definitely be better communicators. And I'll just uh, – and that, that's a good point. And I would say Lauren Pedersen's now uh, running yeah. Fox Business Network and does everything. Porter and, Berry. Uh, Porter Berry was never on Fox and Friends. Oh. We, he was uh, – thought he was too good for us. Uh-huh. Really he started on the weekends, him. though. He was on the Joe Scarborough show way back when. He was. Yeah. And it looks like he's, uh, be de- he's being deprogrammed. <laughs> and now he runs FoxNews.com. And then, of course, uh, uh, Jen Hegseth, who runs Fox sure. Nation, one of the uh, representatives. Uh, you, were run- you weren't taking a full sound on the press conference, but – uh, when the Chicago situation is happening, these unions in San Francisco. Oh, we listened. We, we played it. Okay. So I want you to hear what Mike Bloomberg's advice yes. is to Joe Biden yep. when it comes to teachers unions. This is a fascinating time. We got to get kids back to school. We're talking about suicide is booming. Depression is out of control. And these kids are suffering in a time in which these, this time cannot be replaced. Cut five. It's time for Joe Biden to stand up and say the kids are the most important things and the teachers just are going to have to suck it up and stand up and provide an education. The president has to stand up to the unions. You have a lot of city and state and federal employees who run risks. That's part of the job. You run risks to help America. He's 78 years old, Dana. What is he waiting for to do the right thing? So, you know, he spent $100 million on ads in Florida in the campaign to try to help Democrats win, and, and that failed, right? So sunk cost Mike there. Bloomberg. Yeah, Mike Bloomberg. Hey, how about $100 million in ads right now to, to support big city mayors like uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who is in, the, in a battle with the teachers' unions, and she gave such an impassioned speech. Brian, 
Bill Hammer and I took that press conference because she was there saying, we've got to get these kids back in school. This is outrageous, demanding it, very, very passionate about it. CNN and MSNBC, they didn't take it. They're talking to two senators, Senator Menendez, Senator Cassidy. They're talking about whatever. And meanwhile, you have a situation where a big city black woman mayor is not being backed up by the Democratic Party or the president of the United States or even Michael Bloomberg. I think that's outrageous. And hurting uh, black and yes. Hispanic kids. That's what she said. She said the black and brown kids are the ones that are hurting here. Uh, more, that's one of the great ideas Bill Hammer's talking about. That was good yeah. for for Bloomberg to put his money in that. I had not. That was my that. idea. That's what I'm saying. That's your idea. Oh, Hammer saying I had a good idea. Yeah. Well, right. you said to me, why Hammer need- says you have a lot of ideas. I know. Why do Why do I always have to get credit for my ideas? That was not good sportsmanship. I am embarrassed to say that, <laughs> and I will take it back. I should let somebody else take the credit. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, uh, welcome back, everybody. A few more minutes uh, with Dana Perino, uh, who's getting set to host The Five in five hours and five minutes. (laughs) It's going to be exciting. I always love your ability to time it out. Right. I give the time a lot. Yeah, that, that, no, that like bothers time. you when I hop on the five. No, it's, I, mean, I find it very impressive. I can't do the math that quickly. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Um, do you want to find out if there's more to know? I, yes, absolutely. What, what is there more to know about? More to know. Is that sponsored? I don't have it sponsored there. Oh, we did. Okay, we already did it. Okay, here we go. Uh, Nick Cannon tests positive for COVID nineteen. He is not going to be able to host uh, the Mass Singer. Your reaction. People love the master. Do you, do you know the, the millennials that work around here? They love that show. It's they a, wanted a, me to go do it. No way. I'm you never mean dress doing that. in a costume? Yes, I'm never doing that. Wow. You must be famous. Next, Canada's becoming the first nation to declare the Proud Boys a terrorist organization. Do you want to push back? I do not. Trader Joe's? Next. Swish me. Trader Joe's is giving everybody a $4 an hour raise, but they're stopping mid-year raises. So you get your raise now, but you're not going to get one in mid-year. To me, this looks like a PR stunt. Your reaction, communications expert? Well, maybe they found from their employees that they need a little bit of more help right now, so they're trying to do the right thing. Very nice spin. Christy Teigen, you know her, right? Yes. She tweets a little, social media legend, yep. was talking about how she was recommended a bottle of wine that turned out to be $13,000. Quote, how do you casually recommend that wine? We didn't even finish it, and uh, and it had been cleared. Critics knocked the model and TV personality for her less than common experience. Ugh, hate when that happens. Hate twice last month, said uh, Justin Whelan, who mocked in Twitter. Quote, perhaps bragging about throwing away a $13,000 bottle of wine and crapping on the... Uh, on the person who recommended it and sold it to you and refused to read the prices, not as relatable as you believe it is. Does that show a detachedness? Yeah, check your privilege. Absolutely. <laughs> that doesn't even sound right coming from you. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Peeps Candies returns for Easter after being forced out uh, and were forced to skip Halloween. When I was a kid, I would eat all the Peeps. I loved it. Now, my dad, to this day, still sends them to me, but I never eat them anymore. Uh, That's a lot of sugar. But they claim that peeps are coming back, but they're better than ever. How, did how? You, how, how do you, do you make prove? it better? They were amazing. Right. You, cannot, you cannot improve upon perfection. I don't. I think you're exactly right. Uh, this Texas story on Chucky the doll would have been great. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it for maybe it could be you one more thing. I'll explain to I, you. I, 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 yeah, I heard about that. You did? Yes. Is it going to be you one more thing? No. What am I doing today? Oh, there's a thing. New York City shelters by Girl Thanks, Scout Dana. Cookies.
Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.